Welcome to Back in the Grind, a podcast about life, music, people, and the stories that bring us closer. I'm your host, Pepe, and I want to ask you to subscribe to the show if you've been listening for a while. About half the people that listen to this show don't subscribe. But the benefit of subscribing is it allows the podcast to grow, and the more the podcast grows, the easier it becomes for us to get the guest on the show that you want to hear from. And of course, leave a rating or review for the show if you haven't on whatever platform that you listen on. Today, I'm talking with Pendy and Nick of the band Trash Boat in the Ambush. I remember one day hearing the song, It's Sister Jenny's Turn to Throw the Bomb. It was the first song I ever heard by Trash Boat in the Ambush. I really love the song, and you should definitely check it out. Well, a couple weeks later, I went to a show that April Hartman was a part of, the singer from Apes of the State. And when we were talking, she said she was playing a show with Trash Boat in the Ambush in a couple days. I was really excited and asked her to pass along my contact to those folks. This is something I love about the DIY folk punk community. It's a pretty small, tight-knit community, even though it's spread out across this country and others. We all kind of look out for each other. We're doing our best to help each other out and move forward. One of the things that helps hold this fabric together is all the people who spend time and energy setting up shows. I spent about 15, 20 years doing shows myself, and I'm grateful for everything that came out of that. Today, I have a pretty wide-ranging conversation with Pendy and Nick. We share some pretty funny stories that'll probably have you laughing at some point. I also share a little bit of unknown folk punk history that almost came to be regarding the Johnny Hobo and the Freight Trains Love Songs for the Apocalypse split. So stick around to the end if you want to hear about that. But throughout this episode, there's a consistent theme about setting up and organizing DIY shows. So if that's something you want to do, you'll certainly enjoy this. Or if you just want to hear some reflections and fun stories from people who've been doing that, you'll enjoy this episode as well. Additionally, at the end of this episode, you'll get to hear the song SS Columbia Eagle. It's an unreleased song that Trash Boat in the Ambush submitted to this podcast and to the Bandit Coffee Roasters project. And you'll also be able to find it on our Bandcamp. We'll link it in the show notes. But for now, enjoy this episode as we bring you closer to Trash Boat in the Ambush. Riverside is recording and I'm just being silly. Anyway, how's it going? It's going good. I went out to a show last night and my voice is better now. I was worried my voice might be messed up. I went out to go see this band, The Pist, P-I-S-T. They're they're a really cool band. They're like kind of like street punk. They were started in the 90s and into the early 2000s, maybe from Connecticut. They were a big deal in Connecticut at the time. I do recommend people to check them out. They're like recently added to Spotify. But yeah, P-I-S-T. They have an album called Ideas Are Bulletproof. Ooh, it's a uh, Alan Moore reference. Mm-hmm. No, they're they're a fun band. A lot of like really great sing-alongs. So I was like screaming that into the mic with them last night, and my voice was, uh, yeah. you know, it's my wife, man. She she's like, we've got to go into the pit. Like she's always like encouraging me and, and pushing me into that stuff. I know she got like a big bruise on her back because she like went flying into the amp on the stage, and I got like cut on my leg. And but it was a lot of fun. That's a good pit. It's a good pit. Yes. No, and it was like a punk pit where everyone's picking you up and making sure you're okay. My wife, she's like a metal fan, but she's always like, you know, the punk pits, though, there's a different vibe for sure. Different feel. More friendly, more taking care of each other. 
You're not you're not gonna catch a bow to the face. Like for no <laughs> My first pit ever was when I saw flogging Molly. Mm. I must have been 13 or 14 years old, and you can't really tell because I'm sitting down. I, I'm a rather diminutive man, and I was an even more diminutive teenager. And uh I remember just being against my will hoisted above the heads of these giant bearded men in utila kilts in the flogging <laughs> molly pit and i was like you know what this is this is cool i think i'll come back to shows like this nick you said you had a cat yes we have a few. you have a few yeah because we were about to record and then i said i had to lock the door to keep my cat out i'll share a, a fun cat story with you before we get into things um so my cat you know my fiance well my wife now but she wanted a cat some years ago probably man, 12, 13 years ago. And I was like, fine, you know, get a cat. I, I was like, you know, it's your cat. You're going to have to take care of it. But uh, she got it as a kitten. And in this kitten's defense, it was like found abandoned in the woods with some other kittens. But it's a, um, she's very moody. She's a calico, which are known to be moody cats. Mm-hmm. But we were in our apartment and I just, it was like the middle of the night. And, you know, this cat would always like attack you know, it would love you and then you'd love it back. And then it would get overstimulated. Like this is too much love. And then it would just attack. But then it had like this other thing that it would do where it would like attack when you weren't expecting, you know, like even if you weren't giving it love and we're, we were sleeping one night and I woke up, it's like the middle of the night and I'm walking out into my, my living, going through the living room. uh, You know, I'm going to go use the bathroom and I'm like naked. It's dark. And I'm just like walking through. And then all of a sudden, I just feel like this pain in my ass and a cat had leaped up and like scratched my naked ass. And like, it was, it was bad, but the cat has aged and has calmed down. But yeah, it's, uh, she's like, when people come over, we always have to warn them. Like actually Pat, uh, Pat, the bunny stayed here. He's had interactions with that cat over the years and he was a little nervous, but, um, yeah, she's an interesting cat. So the advice is don't have your bare ass out. Yes. Don't have your bare ass out. Or, the cat loved Pat's armpits. This was like back in the day. It smelled his armpits and it was like trying to crawl up his arm and it like wouldn't leave his armpit alone. <laughs> Who right. doesn't love the smell yeah. of a folk punk musician's <laughs> armpits? Oh, yeah. I've always I've always said that 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 fans of this genre take things a little too far. Um, like regular merch exists. <laughs> Don't have to do that. Oh man. Oh my god. The cat that I had like one cat generation ago was also kind of a feral cat that I brought in and he was a demon and he, I, I think he was universally disliked. I, I would say like it ranged from like, I dislike this cat to like, as long as he doesn't get close to me where we're, we're cool. I had more than one person be like, this cat is giving me a really bad energy and I wish he, he would leave. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do anything about it. I can't get him out of my house. It's like, um, Oh, uh, what's a duck? Yeah, you, you invite it in and it's stuck in your house now. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. I don't know. What are the rules of a Babadook? I don't I, I saw that movie forever ago. It's a book that you can't get rid of. It's a book. Okay. Was it a book? Uh, yeah. It's a book, but then it turns into a monster or it contains a monster, or maybe this woman was just like hallucinating from grief. You know, I saw it years ago too. It actually yeah. recently popped up on my Netflix recommendations. I liked it. And I'm a, I'm a huge horror movie fan. Mm. And I remember really liking it, but have, I don't think I watched it twice. I don't know what y'all are talking about with cats, though. Everybody loves my cat because he's a perfect little angel from heaven. Yeah, that's um, true. This is universally true. I don't know. He's just a very 
people friendly, snuggly boy. Not very much a folk punk cat. He's just a regular. No, guy. just sort of a regular cat. I don't know. I, I feel like he probably listens to hyper pop. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, and his nightcore. Time. He's one of those. He's mm-hmm. like a like a YouTube kid. Yeah, we we all we all definitely can relate to those genres. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking about this earlier too. Like everyone's has like a very different early internet experience. Oh, yeah. and like what what pockets you fall into and like the lingo that you pick up. Yeah. And then like just the weird shit that you're exposed to, but it's different for everyone. Yeah. Like what was your experience, Pepe, with your internet coming of age time? Mm. I think we're all a little bit off. We're not all synced up with each other. Yeah. Um, I might be older than both of you, possibly. My generation was probably the last generation to go to school without the internet. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the internet when I was in school. Granted, I left high school freshman year. But yeah, the internet was interesting to me. Like I remember walking in, in the grocery store. You know, you got this is like pre-internet, so this might seem weird to people, but I remember like the internet was just starting and you would see websites for certain things. And I remember Tide laundry detergent had a like a stand in the grocery store like a display and it had a website at the bottom. I was like laughing. I was like, this is kind of ridiculous. Like why would they have a website? And I just kind of thought like, it just seems so outrageous and that like there would be no reason for like something like Tide Laundry Detergent to have a website. And a lot of people at that time felt similar about stuff. It was a very new thing when the internet was coming. And uh, yeah, I spent a little bit of time on like some AOL chat group one time talking about the dead Kennedys and MC5 and, and people were like wanting to fight over it. And it seems like like, Online fighting was there from day one. Like, that's definitely, yep, yep. yeah. Well, what's the joke? Uh, I don't know what happened at the first punk show, but at the second one, people were complaining about posers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, I still agree. I don't think Tide should have a website. No. <laughs> first of all, I, I've never looked at but what's on there? Who's going to it? What information is there that you can't find somewhere else? <laughs> I just love the idea of, like, me messaging tied corporate asking them to do my laundry like <laughs> why else would this exist if you're not going to do my laundry yeah that could be like uh it, you treat it like kind of a like i don't understand what this is supposed to be bit yeah maybe there's a chat bot that we could fuck with but you know i i suck at interneting like i don't really do social media i haven't been i had a facebook and i haven't been on that in like seven years the only thing i use i don't know if this would count as social media i go on reddit from time to time just the folk punk sub but then i figured i will go on to the um what's not reddit but the uh i don't know it's not a competitor to reddit but there's like a folk punk um discord maybe? discord yes i log on to folk punk discord and my wife was like sitting in bed next to me and she was just like doing her own thing but she kind of glances over and she's getting slightly amused because I, I don't know how that thing works i logged in and there was just so much information all over like the screen yeah. and i was like wow this is like overwhelming for me and then like people like recognized my name from the podcast and, and just the diy bands over the years so people were like oh and then people were excited trying to say hi to me so i was like oh i'm gonna wave at everybody and then like i you know I, you do this thing and it, it gave me like this little um character i don't know where that came from and I tried to make it like wave. And then someone's like, oh, he's waving at himself. And I'm like, I'm not even doing this right. And my wife was like filming me the whole time. I didn't know. <laughs> and I'm like all confused and excited. And that was, uh, you know, my lack of ability on the internet. To be fair, I use Discord pretty regularly. And I still get frustrated and overwhelmed, especially in like massive communities. I started using it pretty soon after it came out to play 
tabletop role-playing games with my friends who live in other places. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's maybe 10 of us in that server. So that one's pretty easy to manage. Mm -hmm. And then like our local scene has one that is, I don't know. I, I feel like it's died down a little bit now, or maybe I just don't pay as close attention to it. Well, the problem with all large discords is that it's a constant buzzing notification that you have yeah, to yeah, turn yeah. off. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you lose your mind mm-hmm. and then you turn it off and then you forget about it unless you're like on there for some particular thing. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh shit, that was a cool conversation that would happen four days ago that I wish I could be a part of. Yeah. And it's already over. I don't know. It, it requires like a lot of people managing it. I think to like have it be nothing other than a big cloud, a big beehive mm-hmm. kind of yeah. situation. I think that's like always where they go, but they're useful. I, yeah. I, I think they're cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely things that are useful on on there, on the internet. We're recording this through the internet. But, you know, it's interesting. I I went to see that band, The Pissed, last night, and it was a reunion show. They had broken up, and they were around pre-internet. And um, someone on stage, I can't remember if it was in The Pissed or one of the other bands, just made the comment that, like, you know, if you don't have social media, you don't know about shows anymore. And, like, I fall into that. Like, my best friends, like, who are in bands, like, I don't even know they're playing. If You know, they know now. Like, you know, even my co-host on the show, Folk Punk Dad, like, if he doesn't text me, like, I'm not going to know he's playing a show. I don't have social media. And it's such a different way of learning about stuff like that nowadays. And I'm not opposed to it being online. I just, for me, for someone who's not as online, that much i find it difficult to be in the loop in a sense you know yeah there's gotta be like i know some cats have like mailing email mailing Mm -hmm. but there's gotta be basically that equivalent of like a text blast where it's like hey i'm gonna send a text like beginning of every month here are our shows that Mm -hmm. we're playing this month which is a good idea um yeah honestly i might look into that (laughs) that's that's not a bad idea for us like the lack of that consistent third space where people are the people who are into like punk folk punk stuff. Like there's not just like one place to go when there's not a show going on that mm. you would like run into people and like put posters up. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. There are places that sort of cater to that, but there is no one like hub physical location that I can think of. Nah. And how would you even get that moving these days when everything is available yeah. online and you don't have to go anywhere to get anything? How do you like meet space, organize and show information to people that don't already know it? Like we saw a poster. Someone put a poster up at one of our shows recently. <laughs> and we were like, oh, look at that. How oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't us. I don't know who did it. But That's awesome. Maybe. That's awesome. Someone else did it. Yeah. I, I think it was one of the cats from one of the bands. Yeah. We were playing. But that still, that's cool. awesome. Yeah. People don't don't do that that much. You know, you're asking, how do you do that? That third space. And when I was locked up, I came up with this idea. Like I wanted to get involved in coffee and coffee roasting. And now I I have this plan. I don't, you know, this is going to be several years out before it potentially happens, but I want to open up a cafe, coffee cafe with a venue in the back, have a place that that space exists when a show is happening, but also when it's not, the space is mm. still open for gatherings and stuff. Hopefully I can pull that off. I I enlisted Chesky. He said he's down to uh, get in on this with me, but we got to sit down and, and talk out details. Weird. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are definitely a lack of that style of place because most you know, most places that we play are either like, this is a dedicated venue. It's mm-hmm. open only from mm-hmm. five to mm-hmm. and that's it. And they're only, that's all that happens here. It's like all stage-based stuff. Or it's like, this is a bar. And maybe there's music 
sometimes yeah. you know varying degrees of like how much do they care about the music <laughs> but it's it's still like a nighttime space and it's a little bit not as inviting for or maybe not even as inviting, but even not as interesting for like sober people. Mm-hmm. And frequently not at all accessible for underage people. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Two of the biggest punk demos. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think that's, I think that's a really cool idea. And yeah, I love the idea of like, here's a daytime event. That's going to be a show in a few minutes. Like, why don't you stick around for 30 mm-hmm. minutes? And it was going to start, go get an espresso and then we'll come back and play some music. So we've been talking about, uh, shows and you mentioned like the third space and I was talking about my idea with the coffee and venue and you know you folks are interested in setting up shows and kind of creating this community around that stuff you know we can get into some of that I'm just curious so if we're going to talk about setting up an event and kind of building community like why should anyone like say someone's listening and they're interested in that why should they even put in the effort like what they might think well this is going to be too much work or why should i even do it what do you think is a a value there if someone's thinking about stepping into like trying to do this type of stuff i would say don't let inexperience stop you because most people don't really know what they're doing uh for any stuff I don't know how to do a podcast and here I am. Yeah. But <laughs> in terms of like the benefits of it, I guess either you're a musician or you're not. And there are tons of social benefits. We're both in our 30s now. And I feel like there's this sort of prevalent sentiment that like, oh, in your 30s, you only have one or two friends. And it's like, no, nah, I'm like going out to shows that people organize all the time. And it's, it's yeah. a really vibrant sort of social scene. I feel like I'm talking to a lot of people, which you know, sometimes you don't want to do, but it's nice to have the option. Yeah. So social benefits, you start not knowing what you're well, doing. You learn a whole lot of stuff. Exactly. Like, like you know, I, I learned how to like how to run sound and how to set up a sound system. And here's the other thing too. If you don't know something, like you probably know someone that does. And if you don't, people that know things really generally love telling other people about the shit that they know really well. Especially if it's like not their actual main job. Yes. If it's just something they love, like no one is going to be a more enthusiastic teacher than that cat. Yeah. Like, like some, yeah, just someone who's just really into it and like maybe doesn't, maybe they don't have an outlet to like yeah. talk about it so much, but they would like love to teach you, even if you're a total idiot. I still can't remember like how to manage like auxins and like, I don't remember all the board stuff, but our guy Stuart, who is our our main sound guy for Cat Gut, which is the little DIY venue that that we run, I told him one day. This was years and years ago. I was like, "Hey, I'm thinking about trying to do a DIY venue, but I don't know anything about the sound system, and I feel like I'm going to get scammed if I try to buy one." And he didn't reply for a bit, and then he sent me like five links to like different sound systems on Craigslist. And he said, what are you doing Saturday? Let's go to Frederick, Maryland and buy this system. And also we have to rent a truck. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, buddy, I guess you're in. <laughs> and then like later that day, Nick's like, hey, can I st-? like, cause he hadn't moved into the place yet. And he's like, can I stash some stuff in your basement? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'm thinking it's like a speaker or two. Then they pull up out back with the U-Haul truck. And I'm like, oh, oh, like wasn't ready for this, but let's go. I was very excited. You know, I'm thinking back to myself when I opened this place called the Factory House back in the early 2000s, and it was a illegal DIY venue, and I had no idea what I was doing. I never had a venue. I don't. I didn't know how to run sound. I didn't know about sound systems. But I had a very similar experience where, you know, I mean, I was very fortunate 
people came out and helped with, we just put out a call to action to come build the place essentially, you know, and kids who knew, who knew plumbing did the plumbing kids who did graffiti, like painted the walls, kids who knew carpentry built the stage, just got this all together. But there was this kid who was just talking to me about the sound. And I was like, I have no idea about the sound system. I was like, our, our show, our first show was in four days. I don't have a sound system. You know, and I had some money set aside for it, but yeah, he just took me out and he's like, listen, I'll go, I'll show you this. I, I might even ask, you know, but there's people who have this knowledge and this information and experience, especially if you're creating something that they want to be a part of, they're going to want to help push it forward. That that sentence, if you're building something that they want to be a part of, mm -hmm. like, and because sometimes you can feel a little guilty like you're taking advantage mm -hmm. of people who are helping you mm -hmm. does happen sometimes but honestly every time i observe that happening it it's in a professional venue yeah um yeah if it's a diy thing i feel like everyone is genuinely excited mm -hmm. and they don't feel like they are being taken advantage of because they do feel like they are part of it well i mean they are a part of it yeah no i yeah, found myself in that position where i often feel guilty because i mean i have like i guess i have plenty of skills but a lot of the things that i've created they were not in areas of my skill set. What I was good at was bringing people together. And then I would often feel guilty though, because like they were doing all the work. But the fact was, and in people we've talked about this, people over the years have said, listen, we never would have gotten together as a group if you weren't there to help bring us together and, and find the space, create this thing, you know, and that really kind of took me a while to get over that feeling of guilt that mm -hmm. could arise, but, you know, but there needs to be, there has to be someone to bring the folks together and, oh, and find a space, things like that. If you don't have the technical skills, you might have another skill, which kind of goes towards community building and stuff that you guys are, are interested in. And like even half the time, it's as simple as like, oh, here's a phone number of a person I know. Mm -hmm. you know? Like, no, If someone didn't do that, something important might not get done. Yeah, um, no, for real. I mean, as someone in kind of a similar position where like I don't really – I don't I'm I'm I don't really have any like super developed skills in any particular thing but I've always gotten by on I don't know how to do that but like I know someone who does and I'll just ask and mm -hmm. I just don't have any reservations about asking and I try to not take advantage of people but I have never met with much resistance to like people just wanting to be able to share what they know and like it's cool and I I would love that if someone would ask me to help them I, that'd be well, cool mm -hmm. yeah there's in the cat gut there was like a wall that was kind of obstructing oh, yeah, the view. And it was like, oh, we would love to get rid of this or at least, you know, make some holes in it and just have some supports. And it's like, Hey, can anyone help with that? And then like, like five people. Showed yeah. Up. Like five people who mm -hmm. had experience as contractors. Yeah. And, like they brought like a bunch of wood and like carpentry tools. And they're like, okay, okay. cool. We're going to, we're just going to cut this shit out. <laughs> we have one friend who's like the manager of an ACE hardware, which, Oh my God, is that the most useful person in the world to <laughs> yeah. be friends with? When you ask somebody for help, you're allowing that person to feel valued. Hmm. I mean, same thing when someone comes to me for something like, you know, it feels good to be the one that's asked. It's like, oh, this person who's asking actually thinks I have value to offer. So, Nick, you mentioned before, you know, most of us don't know what we're doing, which I 100% agree. And you said, I don't know how to do a podcast. And look, here I am. And it's kind of funny because I came up with the idea to start this podcast. I had no idea what I was doing. Like a lot of things I do, maybe I do it like kind of ass backwards, but it seems to work out in the long run because obviously here we are doing it. But yeah, I had booked like six people to be on the podcast before I even knew how to record a podcast. And like, I had no idea, like I didn't know about a podcast platform, anything. I reached out to my friend rapper named Soul 
who had a podcast for like six years. And, and like you said, you know, in, in a 30 minute conversation, he was able to share information that on my own would have taken a year to learn, you know, and he was like, why spend a year learning something when you can just ask somebody who's already been there? I'm a big Margaret Killjoy fan. Word. And if you don't know who that is, you've got to find out. But my favorite quote of hers ever, and I think it really sums up my approach to like everything, is the best thing you can have in a crisis is someone you can trust. And then just like multiply that out, like some ones you can trust. Mm -hmm. That's the best thing we have is like other as other folks. Yeah. Um, when it comes more to like goal oriented DIY music stuff, I will distill it to just always ask. There, I, I have never once asked someone for anything and been told, fuck you, how dare you? Like, yeah. it's never happened. Like, if you're trying to book shows out of town, you'll get radio silence from nine out of ten people. I think that's kind of It normal. happens if you don't have a, if you don't have like a hookup in the yeah, city. It can which, be but like, that's, that's the worst case scenario is just you don't get a reply, which yeah. is fine. And I'll say something else. If you're, if you're someone listening that is interested in doing DIY music, like as like an organizer or host, and you are, are thinking, oh, well, there's already this space in my town that's so good. Doesn't matter. Open yeah. up a second one because I almost guarantee you the people running that are overwhelmed <laughs> with requests to play. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, can, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not speaking from experience, but like, I, I, I definitely don't have 30 unanswered <laughs> DMs right now because we can't host like that many shows. And honestly, a lot of DIY spaces that hosting too many shows can bring the, the wrong kind of attention to these spaces which are often not formal and you can burn legal. out and you can burn out it's really easy to burn out and so like a good scene has like a, a city or town region has a dispersed network of diy venues it's like when the ants in the amazon like link up and they turn themselves into, into an the ant, ant raft or oh. ant bridge okay ant fine. different things ant raft trash boat new name no i don't know um, sorry i'm not much of an anthropologist yeah anthropologist yeah. oh my god <laughs> I'm sorry I said that out loud. It's on recording too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, don't worry about like the cool kids or whatever in your scene. Just go ahead and do and do it. And then bands will ask you to play like immediately. It's as soon as you have a stage, it's ready. Oh, yeah. And you don't even have to have a stage. You, as soon as you have like a spot. And there can start to be like little bits of specialization where it's like, well, this is more of the punk venue than like. We've got the, you know, hip hop venue in this other neighborhood. And like, yeah, people will end up going to both of those. Right. Because it's like the DIY circuit. Yeah. And then you have, oh, well, I can only do shows on weekdays and only if they're acoustic. All right, great. You're the acoustic hangout yeah. spot for all the folk artists. Don't feel like you're ever crowded out of the show market because there's always room for more. Build a bigger table. Yeah. So I'd like to touch on something. I think, Pendy, you said a while back about social benefits. I started booking shows in the early 2000s, and I probably went until about 2016. But over that time, as you pointed out, there is that social benefit of friends and a larger network that grows out of that. While I was booking these shows, like that wasn't like my intention. It was like, oh, I'm going to build this social group of people and have this network that I can access. And like, that was never in my thoughts. And I didn't even realize that was even occurring. But in 2019, when I went to prison, the, the support I got, how much of that came from people that either came to shows I set up or came to play the shows. And it was such a vital role in my life when something horrible was going on. There was this social group of people that 
had accumulated over the years. I never made that connection until you just said this now. A lot of that, I would honestly say 75% of those folks came into my life through setting up events. And it benefited me during one of the most darkest periods of my life. It can sort of tie back into the thing Nick was saying a second ago. Where it's like, of course, you have your family support in that time, but having other people there to offer that support, mm-hmm. it's not like you would say like, oh, his family's got him. He doesn't need more support. Like, of course, more support is better and something like that, it, whether it's difficult time in an individual's life or sort of scene building stuff. It's interesting because you never realize in the moment, we can have an idea of what's being created in a moment, but we can never really realize the potential of it and how it's going to affect you or other people in the future. Yeah. And the best thing ever for me is, is when I hear these people met at cat gut and then they did something different mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm just hearing about it months later. I didn't mm-hmm. even go. Like, oh, cool. Y'all met here. That, that rocks. That's the best thing. Like that's the best possible outcome. Like the music is fun for me. It's more about, creating those networks of people that you've seen before you've talked to, you can rely on. And it's like, there's sort of, I don't know. It's, it's hard to trust strangers. It is. But like you see someone you, at a show once, even if you've never talked to them, they're way less of a stranger. Oh yeah. Immediately. <laughs> like, like, and then you can, Hey, were you at this? Yeah. The best opener ever. I mean, that's the battle jacket is the best oh, conversation yeah. starter. You see one thing that you recognize and you're like, cool apes of the state patch yeah you're like all right cool now i know so much about you because you've said this one thing yeah it's really cool and and depending on like how diverse your patches are you might mm-hmm. be able to attract different types of conversations now my wife and i were talking just recently about this that we we actually met at this place called never-ending books which did like diy events and are still around today uh doing diy shows you know, you said it's like hard to trust strangers. Like a stranger is strange because you don't know anything about them. But when you see someone at a DIY show, you know, a house show, whatever, even if you don't talk to them, you immediately know something about them and they become less strange. You know, you're one step closer to creating that connection. And especially at like a DIY show, anyone that shows up, it's like, okay, first of all, how did they find out about it? Mm-hmm. And that's like, a, and they're probably cool because they like, okay, so you went to this place that I also go to and you saw the flyer or like, oh, you know, five other people that I know that I just have never met you before. Mm-hmm. Great. It's kind of the most organic way to meet people that aren't in your orbit yet. The the people that just show up are cool too. But <laughs> Although the flip side of that is security culture is important. Yes. Like not to pretend that all the DIY stuff is completely sunshine and roses. You got to be careful. There are bad actors out there. There are cops who, for whatever reason, this is what they want to, these are the people they want to fuck with. I I would say the negative stuff that at least I, and from what I've heard from you, you have experienced is so much smaller than all of the positive stuff. That it it's is. like, yeah, not that it's not important, not that you shouldn't pay attention to it, but like, oh, we're, I mean, we're managing it, but yes, yeah, the benefits massively outweigh the risks, but it would be foolish to say that the risks don't exist. Whenever we have bills that are, that are featuring like queer artists, there's always a handful of just obviously badly made social media accounts that will reach out and try to get show details. Mm. And it's like, if you put even a tiny bit of effort into this, I might have been fooled for a second. You just have to be wary of who's in your space. And so that's like something that I do as a host is like, I try to talk to everyone Mm. for even just a a minute and it's 
kind of all I do at shows. And I have other people that are actually running the show the night of. I'm just kind of floating around. Just say hi in a friendly way. But also, like, like security culture does exist. Yeah. And we're looking for any kind of yellow, red flags. Yeah. And it sucks that you have to do that. Yeah. But it's a part of the reality. I mean, when I was setting up shows, you know, I'm in a, a smaller town in Connecticut. And I was pretty much the only one setting up DOI shows in that town at the time. Mm-hmm. So like you were pointing out before, it could be overwhelming, but it's also like, if there's only one person doing it, then more attention is going to be on that one person. And it seemed like the cops were chasing me like all around town. I mean, we did a show in the early two thousands with Eric Peterson. This is like before like folk punk was where it is now. Literally nobody came to the show. It was me. It was Eric and his wife. And this one girl named Chicken who was worked around the corner at this local Dunkin' Donuts. And she didn't even come to the show. She was just there. You know, and I, I was like, just go in. You don't have to pay. It was the four of us. And the cops mm-hmm. came to shut down this acoustic show with four people. <laughs> you know, and it was just, it was, wow. they were just always coming like to shows. How many cops? Two cop cars. It was just two cops total. Okay. They were questioning me. They were messing with Eric. They wanted to search his car. You know, and it was a reality. I mean, like I said, we're in a smaller town. You know, we've had other shows where the cops showed up. But we also did, like, some other things in response to that were fun and very memorable shows. And this depends on the size of the show. This was a a Johnny Hobo show. Johnny Hobo didn't have the recognition that Pat did later. Maybe 30 to 40 people max. But it was probably around 30 or less that came out at this time. But I had been harassed by the cops multiple times. Shows shut down. So we started doing these secret shows where we'd say, okay, we're all going to meet at this parking lot. And then from that parking lot, we had like designated people who would who would drive everyone to a undisclosed location. Oh, And, and we would have like these secret shows like kind of in the woods or at like this abandoned place. And it was just kind of cool because there wasn't like a bunch of cars there. We were able to shuttle the people there, you know. We had some logistics, obviously had to go into it. If anyone had to leave, we always had people on hand ready. But it was such a fun thing. And people still talk about that show or the shows we did like that 20 years later. All right. Put your phone in the bag and get in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm, make, I'm taking notes on this. I want to make future. t-shirts that say, yeah. follow the punks to a second location. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That rocks. At that point, like we were getting messed with by cops. It was so crazy how often they came around. Um, but at that point, we're like, you know what? They're messing with us anyway. So we actually, it was probably one of the more fun shows I ever had in a intense way. It was, we did a show and it was booked at 1130 at night. And there was a bank that had a lobby where the doors locked, but you put in your, your debit card to open the door to get okay. in. And like you, and we threw a show in there at 1130 <laughs> at night, <laughs> which was awesome. But no one got in trouble for that one. You know, I, I was like the one I thought we were going to get in trouble for. We crammed like 20 kids into this little like bank lobby and, and uh, threw a show. That's great. Uh, that's uh, That is very, very fun. Something I meant to mention a minute ago. Another great tip is like with any of the DIY stuff is feeding people. Oh um, my God. Yes. Especially touring. I have been dying to talk about the soup. We're gonna, okay. <laughs> Can we talk about the soup? Can we talk about the soup? I've been, di- I've been thinking all day about the soup. <laughs> we are kind of specifically uniquely, we're very obsessed with soup. It can be made to fit anyone's dietary restrictions and it's very, very scalable. But just in general, if you can feed people, that's always a good thing to do. If you can feed touring bands. Yeah. 
Oh my God. Give the touring band some vegetables. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. On the one hand, it's not all that hard to pull off the highway and find just a grocery store compared to like a fast food place. Yeah, but it's a pain in the ass. But it's a pain. You have to get out like, and like time is so, yeah. such a precious commodity when you're on the road and you're worried about being late and stuff. If you can give touring bands any food at all, but especially vegetables and like something fresh and like home cooked, uh, that's great. But also... You never know who's hungry. You never know who had to come straight from work and didn't get dinner. You never know who's struggling and hasn't been able to buy groceries in a couple of days. Yeah. It doesn't have to be soup, but it's cold outside right now. And soup is just great. Yeah. We're still working on the augmented stage plot where there's a there's like a propane burner on the stage uh-huh. with a soup pot on it that we are making in between songs. We'll stir it up. And I want to come up with some sort of new logo involving a ladle. Yes. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet. I'll say with almost all the shows that I threw back in the day were potlucks. Just thinking back on it now that you mentioned food and feeding bands. I think the thing that touring bands thanked me the most for, it wasn't for a floor to crash on. It wasn't for setting up the show. When they showed up and saw a table with all types of food on it, they were so thankful. They were so happy. The, the fact that you know people would take the time to cook a meal and share it. Food was uh, an important thing, but you mentioned soup. I actually, (laughs) so I have a quick story about soup. Great. I used to work in a restaurant. I worked in the restaurant industry for like 18 years and I used to load up my backpack with five pound bags of pasta. I just steal everything. I used to work at a Ruby Tuesdays and I would just like rob that place (laughs) like crazy. And we had so much food. Whenever I knew a band was coming, like we loaded up on so even like cooking equipment and stuff, we just like took nice. things. But um, yeah, there was a lot of Haitian guys, a lot of guys from Haiti that worked there, and I was in the kitchen, and I was really cool with all of them. One of them was named Cowboy, actually, this Haitian dude we nicknamed Cowboy because supposedly he he robbed banks in Haiti, and they called him the Haitian Cowboy. But um, <laughs> all right, well, anyways, he was here, and and one of his. What are you talking about? Do you have any more information on the Asian cowboy? That, that's one day I he I came in to work before we opened, and he had this like meat on the grill, and it was like you know nothing I was familiar with that we cooked at the restaurant. I said, "Cowboy, what are you cooking?" And he had this accent. And he goes, "White snake," and he's like cooking this white snake on the grill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was his snake meat. But uh, he he had brought in one of his friends, you know. They, a lot of times immigrants who come here, they form these communities that are tight knit. One works at one place, they get hired and they start bringing in other people from that community. So there was a large number of these Haitian guys working in the kitchen. And one day this one Haitian guy was like on his break and he had this giant soup pot, like this five gallon soup pot. Love it. The bottom of the pot, like the flame was like on high flames were like shooting out, right? The pot is like smoking. It's like bubbling and like smoke is coming out. And they're like, and the regional manager of, of the Ruby Tuesdays, he's like in charge of like 17 Ruby Tuesdays in the region walks in and he sees this flaming pot and all this stuff coming out. And it just had this like weird smell to it. And he walks up to the guy and he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm making some soup. The corporate guy's like, what kind of soup? And the Asian dude is like, voodoo soup. And the, the, the corporate guy, I mean, I shit you not, he grabs the whole pie, goes, that's not legal in this country. And he just threw the whole thing out, like the whole pot and everything in a dumpster. <laughs> he threw the pot away? Oh, the whole thing, because it was voodoo soup, and you're not allowed to have, according to him, it's you know illegal to have voodoo soup in this country. Wait, do you know what voodoo soup is? is that I've never heard of voodoo I've never soup heard of in this. my life. So 
I'll share with you guys, maybe even I'll play it at the end of this if it's not too embarrassing, but I was so inspired by that. So I don't know how to play music. Neither do I. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could do it as poorly as you folks do. But um, yeah, I I really don't know how to play anything. And talking about like doing things you don't know how to do, I got a bunch of guys together who didn't know how to play. And we had a place called the Bandit Basement. We just go in there and record. You know, we recorded a lot of bands in there and stuff. But yeah. I was so inspired by this voodoo soup thing. I was like, listen, I'm going to write this song called voodoo soup. And, you know, for me, like writing a song, it was just like, all right, I'll write the lyrics. And then like, you're going to bang the drum like this and you're going to do this. And like, so we made this like incredibly horribly good song called voodoo soup. And it's like me screaming, telling the story about voodoo soup. And it's like so much like not a song, but people love it when they hear it. And, uh, it's just about this white guy coming and complaining about voodoo soup. And it's me screaming voodoo soup at the top of my lungs. It sounds like a lost Mojo Nixon track. Oh, <laughs> I know. Um, too soon. He wasn't that old. I know. Do you know the recipe for voodoo soup? I don't. And it got thrown in the trash, so I never got to try it. And like, yeah, I don't know. We'll do some research. We'll do some research. I'll share the song with you later, though. It's and oh, that's the, yeah, that's the best I have. Could be could become a new trash boat cover. Okay. <laughs> I would be I would be amazed and honored if that happened. <laughs> we do we love soup, and I don't know voodoo. It, it gets this weird like voodoo is a religion like any other religion. I don't, I don't know like it, it gets this weird mysticism associated. I know nothing with it. about it. You're more of a New Orleans guy. I mean, I, not really New Orleans. I've been to New Orleans once. <laughs> um, more than me. I don't know. I just like it. It is a religion that people practice. Like it's yeah. uh, it's not it's not witchcraft. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> I can see it now. Trashford in the ambush canceled because of witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> Illegal soup at trash boat show. <laughs> Illegal soup. That's my favorite. Is the the implication? Yeah. Okay. This soup so, is illegal. Wait. Yeah. That's- here, here. <laughs> from that story, here's what I actually got. I think this regional manager of Ruby Tuesdays, essentially a sort of like Grand Moff Tarkin figure <laughs> in the local food scene. <laughs> I think he was worried that this soup was part of a curse that uh, was being cast mm, either on, on him, probably on him, yeah. on the restaurant, on the customers. Who yeah. knows? Um, yeah. That's not the behavior of someone who's just worried about being in violation of again the way he said it made it seem like not so much like health code no, or no, anything no, that's but like <laughs> the law of the land. yeah I, here's here's another piece of advice that i will give if you are worried that someone is targeting you for a with a curse you're mm. not living right that is a good point yeah you need, mm. to, you need to stop what you're doing you need to reassess your values you probably be nice to people because yeah i've never feared a curse because i try not to have any I don't, I don't, I don't try to have anyone that wants to curse me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I've been thinking a lot more about curses in the last five minutes than I have all month. Um, you guys are a fun, a fun batch for sure. Um, your music has a lot of serious themes, but it's so interwoven with humor. I mean, I, I like that. I, I like that we can have a lightheartedness amongst a serious topic. Is that something that's always been a part of the band, that lightheartedness, that sense of humor, that fun? Yeah, from basically the first practices. Yeah. Our drummer's not here. He's working today. Uh, He's just a huge goofball. I feel like basically on our first practice, he showed the two of us this weird. Oh, my God. Yes. It was like some Brad Neely ass. It wasn't Brad Neely, but it was was reminiscent. Yeah. It, It was just a weird sort of internet 
cartoon that we just laughed hysterically at. And it like is something that we will still just, just sort of subtly reference to this day. But, but yeah, for me, I cannot deal with the world the way it is and life the way it is. If I can't laugh about it, it's oh. like, it's all over. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like so much of it is just so absurd and just the worst thing you could imagine. So I think that's something that I, I like about our band mm. is that we bring that humor to, and then the sort of like a bit of levity because a lot of this genre is rightfully very serious. It, but, but punk has a like long history of being very goofy and dumb. Yep. And uh- occasionally puerile yeah um, like a, a word i definitely know the meaning of <laughs> like really immature oh yeah um, uh, like uh, retro throw go your other band i would say also does a great job of very funny addressing very serious themes but that's just the only way that i know how to yeah. relate to the world and like it's not like we're making money off of this why would we do it if it wasn't fun like <laughs> yeah i can be miserable and laugh at the same time yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> We're millennials. It's yeah. what we were born to do. <laughs> Look, that's a skill that I respect. Like, if I see somebody that can have the ability to laugh when they might be miserable in a moment or there's something difficult going on, and they also have the capacity to laugh, like, there's a certain, I don't know, there's a, there's something that the, that you have to build up to be able to do that. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It feels like something's been accumulated that allows you to approach a situation like that. And when I see that in people, I definitely gravitate towards that. Well, I mean, that's the ambush part of the band name. Sure. It's, it's an open invitation. It's not, yeah. it's not a, like just a name of the few people that are like in the regular lineup. Yeah. Um, you can explain more about how that works, but like, <laughs> I, I love that so much. Uh, so to those who don't know, this is a, by way of explaining that, when you are booked to play a show, DIY or, you know, a more traditional official venue or whatever, they will frequent the person organizing it will frequently ask for an input list of who's going to be on stage and who needs what sound wise. And like a lot of bands have just like the one document that they send to everyone. But for us, it varies dramatically show to show. Sometimes it's going to be like a completely acoustic thing. And we're not going to have any drums like our next show. Yeah. We're playing with a sort of stripped down version of Apes of the State. And it's going to be mostly just me, but like you'll come up for a few songs and mm-hmm. our fiddler will come up for a few songs and Adam will come up for a few songs to play harmonica or whatever. So sometimes it's full electric. We've got the drums and we've got a five piece horn section or whatever. And my joke about it is always like, well, it would be a bad ambush if you knew exactly how many people were showing up. Um, <laughs> but it's also like, I love it as a social project. Our last show, two different horn players approached and said, hey, I play tuba or hey, I play baritone sax. Like, if you ever want to add that, I'm like, fucking yeah, I do. Like, it'd be awesome. It's not that we can do it every single time. And like, I got to go through and uh, write horn parts for those instruments or whatever to then give to people. But um, because we, for whatever reason, keep attracting high school band nerds. I, I think it's only natural. Yeah. The, the high school banner to, to anarchist pipeline is yeah. it's a short pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, again, it, it ties back into the social aspect of everything, of just, like, people love music. And, like, one of the cool things about folk punk is you can kind of bring whatever weird instrument into it. That mm-hmm. you want. Man, first time I saw Days and Days was in maybe, like, 2014 or 15. And they played outside with no electricity. There are more dogs than people. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a uh, wash tub bass. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. 
basically the next weekend I went to Ace Hardware and spent 40 bucks on the stuff to make one. I still have it. You although play it sometimes. The oh, one show a drunk guy sat, sat on, on it and dented it. Yeah. And it still works, but it's not as loud as it used to be. And I want to make a new one, but that one has so many cool stickers on it. I got a little distracted there. But yeah, the band, the fact that bands can just sort of attract new members, especially this one where it's not. Well, the barrier to entry is super low because like you want to be on one song. Great. You're in the band now. Yeah. You mentioned Days and Days and they're like a probably one of the most established uh, folk punk bands right now. I mean, you know, chances of them coming to play in somebody's living room is at this point is not big but somebody might be like considering booking shows or, or setting up events and they might say well i don't know any bands so i can't do it what, what would you say to that oh just message them honestly. yeah find your find the way to like get in touch and just send a, a hail mary like that's how we've gotten pretty much everything that we've had i mean we've had some big folk pump names come through like rent strike apes of the state and holy locust out of system transfer and yeah all of those we've gotten just by messaging or like a friend messages them. Yeah. He's like, Oh, I ran into them at this like festival. Like they're cool. You should message yeah. them. I'll vouch that, for you. Basically. That's it. Like, unfortunately, I think inst I don't know. Unfortunately, like one platform, I guess. Well, uh, Instagram is probably what we've had the most success with. Yeah. I, it's reach out wise. Yeah. Like I hate that Mark guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, but it's where I do most of my like, booking work yeah on, for better or, or worse and like it, it is what it is like it is what it is it's just a tool yeah but yeah i would say just reach out like honestly i would say like the like if you don't even know any musicians mm -hmm. just like go to a music store yeah or even better like shows well shows are better also open mics oh my god yeah you're gonna see some weird acts you're gonna see some great stuff Go to open mics. That is the best point of entry that I can recommend for. Yeah. Like, if, I mean, you're, if, if you're coming into like, I am totally new to everything, but I love this and I want to be part of it. Start by going to open mics. That's how we met. That's how we met. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say from my experience, you know, in booking shows nowadays is a little different than it was when I was doing it in the early 2000s, but you're going to have shitty shows. The first show I set up, I did it at a legitimate venue where they wanted 400 bucks plus a cut of the door to do the show. Whoa. So I agree to that. And two people came to my show. Yeah. That was my first show I ever set up. And it was a horrible experience. And I, I don't know if y'all ever heard of Langhorn slim. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's who I booked. What? Yeah. And the two people that came out were my friends. Here's an interesting side story kind of separate to this, which is an interesting piece, unknown history in the folk punk world. When I was putting out the Johnny Hobo and Mantits album, the Love Songs for the Apocalypse, Pat's first album, it was a split with him and Mantits. It was going to be a three-way split with Langhorn Slim on it. That's very cool. We were talking about that at the time, yeah. He didn't know Pat, but I knew, the, I knew the both of them, and I was doing stuff with the both of them at the time. Wow. But then Langhorn started to get more traction, and we kind of lost touch. I have an interesting story about him sleeping in a crack house that I lived at for a little bit that was owned by a cop, and I... I saw his butt in the morning, <laughs> but anyways, that was, that was the Dude, most dense sentence. Can you just write a book or something? <laughs> also side note, I've been listening to that Johnny hope love songs for the apocalypse for like 15 years now or whatever. Five minutes ago, I would have sworn up and down. The other band on that split was called Mantis. Oh, I thought, you know what? So it's man tits. And the very first time I, I met him, 
and I saw the name written on a chalkboard at a DIY venue uh-huh. in Vermont. I thought it was Mantis as well. Okay. Yeah. I just, I've, I've looked at that album cover a thousand times. <laughs> and no, I had the same thing. It's interesting. God, there's, there's a universe right next door where Langhorn Slim did play on that. And it's like a whole different yeah. musical mm-hmm. trajectory. Wow. But my point there is, you know, that was my first show. And, and that kind of led me to more DIY shows. But my point was nobody showed up. And I even had these DIY shows. Like I mentioned the one with Eric Peterson. Nobody came to the show, not a single person. And you might think, well, that was a waste of time. And you know what? Next time Eric wanted to come to Connecticut, he reached out to me. And then me and him developed a relationship. And then the show started getting bigger and better. But my point is, even the shows that like suck, you, you got to stick with it. Because it's it's just, oh. it grows over time and you make more connections. And there's just, the reality is, this is something I've learned, that you can do a bunch of crappy shows and then you'll start getting some traction. Over time, people just be like, oh, that's the lady or that's the guy that sets up shows. And people mm-hmm. just start to recognize that about you. And then you start to become known as that. And then it becomes mm-hmm. easier to get connected with bands and stuff. And you can like, you can spin straw into gold. We had this one show that was someone else organized and <laughs> I know which one you're talking yeah, about now. <laughs> it was we showed up. The guy who organized it wasn't there. And we're like, okay, cool. And we're like asking questions. And like we had been told, so soft stop at eleven, and that's when everyone needs to start leaving. They're like, No, everyone needs to be out of the building by ten. We need to be closed and done at ten. And this is the bartender. This like- is the bartender telling us that this is a Saturday night. There are four bands on the bill, and it's like Seven o'clock now when we show up. To, to set up. To set up. So and there's only one power outlet. Yeah, everything's like <laughs> bonk. The show itself, we, we got this awesome Richmond folk punk band called Dead Possum Girlfriend came up and we got to see them play. They ruled. The way it shook out is like we were supposed to play last and we just said at the end of the show, like, hey, we don't have time to play a set, but we're going to go to this bar across the train tracks and play an unplugged show under the bridge there until the cops tell us to fuck off. So anyone who wants to come do that. And then like, I don't know, 20, 30 people. And probably. then, and then a, a, definitely a number came from out of the bar. Yeah. To come see what was going on. It was so fucking cold. That was honestly one of my favorite. Shows. It was a lot of fun, but it was, it was very, very cold. very cold. Playing, playing upright bass sub 40 degrees. Yeah. Is hell. Before we close out, I have two questions for you folks. Was that okay? You just mentioned dead possum girlfriend and, and, you know, this is something I've been thinking about because the, the the word possum in there and the possum has been associated with folk punk and so has the raccoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what association came first? Wait, did possum or raccoon come first? Yeah, with well, its connection to folk punk. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious. I, mean, I, I would like to know the origins. I, I could think back to like local origins where I'm from, but I'm wondering... Yeah. Because like I had the DIY Bandits label, which our logo was a raccoon. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anyone else that was doing the raccoon within folk punk at that time. Okay. And then my friend who I saw at the Pissed show uh, last night, this kid Mark Leonard, who is uh, old school. He's been doing folk punk since the early 2000s. He had a distro called uh, Rabid Possum. And that's one of the earlier possum references within the folk punk world, I know. But yeah, I'm just curious, what came first, you know? I have a theory on this. I, I, I would love to hear your theory. Actually, let me say one last thing. My friend who like kind of co-founded the DIY bands with me, he drew our raccoon logo. 
KO Flux. He did this sketch one day. It was so great, and I wish I had it. I've looked for it, and I can't find it. It was like on his ripped, torn a piece of paper, but it was our Raccoon Girl logo, and she was wearing a strap on, and she was fucking the <laughs> rabid possum. And it was just such, and like the rabid possum was like foaming at the mouth. And it was just such a great, I wish I had it, and I never got to show Mark who ran rabid possum. <laughs> Uh, what is your theory on, on the raccoon versus the possum? It's not an original theory. So there's like a line you can trace from folk music, the you know, the Appalachians, you know, all, all, all up and down from Georgia to Maine, all that stuff. And this sort of music comes out of a place of, you know, the roots of folk music are a lot in protest and kind of living outside of the normal society, polite systems, all that shit. Okay, so like possums are kind of trash animals. They're scrappy, they're kind of gross looking, but they're kind of cute. And they do the job that no one else wants to do, which is eat ticks. And then you have raccoons who are crafty, and they're little thieves, and they they have pans that are very dexterous. So like, I think in like the, the folk punk pantheon, you have like two houses are the raccoon house, which is the crafty criminal, the, the possum house, which is the sort of like crust punk you know, you know, that's actually so I just want to interject real quick. Yeah, man, I wish I could show you a picture of Mark Leonard because he's the crust punk. And then there's me, the crafty criminal who like, you know, like had this big marijuana empire. Like it actually it's very fitting. It's so fitting what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think recently you have the introduction of the pigeon, which is the urban. punk. Ah, yes. Because it's sort of like the, the next trash animal. But uh, and then and perhaps the rat rats. Skunks, rats, and skunks—they're less fleshed out as far as their yeah. like where do they fit within the whole ecosystem. But you definitely have these animals that are seen in varying times and places as like pests, mm-hmm. or as like viable food sources, or as noble creatures that should be emulated. But then I would say recently, in the last like I don't know, maybe five or four or four or five years, there's been kind of this bizarre. Have you ever heard the term "yall star"? No, no, I wouldn't say bizarre, but it's like kind of a commodification of the idea of Appalachian culture. I'm from like Western North Carolina and I, that's, you know, where I grew up and Mm -hmm. that's sort of what I, what I know. And, you know, a lot of people are taking advantage of, of that vibe, I guess you could say to like market things into, I don't know, it's just become kind of a brand opportunity and the possum and raccoon have become part of that now they've been a little subsumed, but I think that their folk punk associations date back much earlier sure. than the, the all-star era. I'm going to qualify this by saying fuck JD Vance, but he is the original all-star. He's a, he's a guy from Kentucky. He wrote Hillbilly LG. Oh, I don't want okay. to plug him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And he's like a, he's horrible sellout center in Ohio, not even the state that he's from. So okay. yeah, fuck him. That's all I have to say about that. Cool. But yeah, folk punk pantheon so far as I understand it, Possum, possum, raccoon, raccoon, pigeon, definitely skunk, maybe rat, probably. Mm -hmm. And then we need a West Coast rep. Pigeons are kind of all over the place, but like, what's a good West Coast land mammal? Like a coyote? Coyote, not bad. Coyote, not bad. But I don't really know West Coast animals. Yeah, I have not spent that much time. Armadillos? Are those folk punk? You could definitely you could persuade me in a couple if, of okay, minutes. Okay, so if you were to if you were to roll an armadillo up into a ball mm-hmm. and throw it at a cop, would it hurt them? <laughs> I would say probably wouldn't feel good. Who would it hurt more though, the armadillo or the cop? Because I, I don't want to hurt armadillo. I don't want to hurt the armadillo. But they got that armor. Look, this yeah, is the armored. Listeners, please respond. Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> also, random question here: What is the least folk punk animal? The least folk punk animal. 
Hmm. Like I, my immediate reaction is like a peacock. Or I was something. thinking a peacock too. Really? Yes, you know, I was. They're, they're fragile and they're showy. No beef with peacocks. Like I'm no sure beef. they're. I'm sure they're cool. fine. I don't you know, know what know. popped into my mind, and it, this has a connection. Uh, I guess I'll tell the story. T Rex. T Rex huh. popped into my mind, but because you know, I don't know. T Rex isn't too folk punk, right? It doesn't seem it. This might be a fact. It might not. I don't know. I, I was told it's a fact that the possum was alive during the time of dinosaurs and during the time of T-Rex. And I just like that idea because that shows like, if you ask somebody, like if there's going to be a battle between a T-Rex and a possum, like who's going to win? And it's like, look, the T-Rex is gone. The possum is still still here. here, Yeah. There's a Leslie fish song called we're still here. Yeah. Um, Is it about possums? No, it's about like the wobblies. Okay. Um, (laughs) <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover's dead and gone. We're still here. Anyway. Okay, yeah. Listen to Leslie Fished, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah. we. One of our songs is a cover of the Leslie Fish is this bizarre songwriter. She's still alive, I'm pretty sure. She's a must be a very old woman. But she put out a lot of music in this style called Filk mm. that are a lot of weird songs about... A lot of it's Star Trek. Yeah, a it's lot like, of it's, it's it's like imagine a country song written by like a space cowboy, but it's also like very like we're in a saloon, but we're also in space, and my arm is a robot. Arm. Yeah, but also lots of like anarchist and labor union stuff. Yeah, too. but yeah, intermixed with like very like grounded stuff. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, the Wobblies. That was kind of my introduction to a lot of. Uh, I mean, I guess I was into punk, but definitely at a very young age. Before I was 20, like I was associated with the Wobblies and it had a lot of led me down this path to, that, to where I am today. I no longer have any associations with those people. But do you know the band The Looms? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they, I, you know, I don't know those, those dudes, but um, makes me think they make me think of the Wobblies. Yeah. I, we, um, Sister Wife Sex Strike played with them oh, nice. on their most recent tour mm-hmm. and said they're very nice people. Nice. Um, yeah, I want to get them on the show. I, I, I love what they're doing. Their music's a lot of fun. They have awesome music. So, last question. If y'all could book a show with any band, present or past, if you want to do one band or a lineup, who would it be? Are we playing on a bill with them, or are we just organizing the show? You're, you're definitely organizing the show. If you choose to put yourself on there, that's fine. I would. Yeah. Well, if it's, For if this? It's, yeah. You want to go first, or you want... People ask, what's the greatest band of all time? And the answer is Chumbawamba. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. My my stock response is usually, obviously, there's no answer to that question. But equally, obviously, the answer is P-Funk. But now, like, oh, my God, a P-Funk and Chumbawamba Chumbawamba is my answer on ironically. P-Funk and Chumbawamba on stage at the same time, going from one P-Funk song into a Chumbawamba song. It could be done. It could be done, and it would be the greatest and thing ever. And we're the ever. openers. Um, if anybody <laughs> knows George Clinton, um, if anyone has his number, Boff Whalen, is that the main guy? Yeah. I mean, there's no main guy yeah, from yeah, Chumbawamba. Yeah. That's, that's a guy. He, I feel like he's the one I hear interviewed the most, and uh, the one who's like stuff I've read the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those ones are great. The two artists that we cover the most are probably Chumbawamba and Tom Waits. Yeah. So that would be another true. unbelievable one. Yeah. I would settle for Tom Waits just putting a cigarette out on me. Like, yeah. That'd be fine. <laughs> Something in that bizarre triumvirate. Nice. 
Should we talk about what's happening next for the band? Yeah, or? there's a there. I mean, there's a song coming out with this. Too. That's right. We <laughs> got be really quick. I mean, maybe cut out some of that earlier stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll do. We'll edit. <laughs> You're in charge of that. You can make whatever call you want. Yeah. In case we didn't mention it, we're in a band called Trash Boat in the Ambush. Um, we're putting out a single with this episode called SS Columbia Eagle, which is a song about the most recent naval mutiny in United States history during Vietnam War. We're, we think we mentioned we're playing with Apes of the State in March. We're going on a short tour at the end of the March. End of March, we're playing with uh, the O Fucks on two different very dates. good, very good Philly, awesome folk punk stuff. We're uh, playing with Out of System Transfer in, in New, New York. York. Yep, and there's other bands on both of those bills that I, I don't know personally, but I'm excited to meet. Yeah, it's going to be great. A little yeah. little three day journey. Yeah. Um, so if you're in any, if you're in Lancaster, New York, or Philly, so technically the House of Jink is in Akron, Pennsylvania, which is close to Lancaster. Okay, but yeah, those are things we're doing. In the show notes, we'll link contacts for you folks, whatever social media website, like, whatever you know you want to have up yeah. there for for people yeah. to I'll check give you. My out. phone number and my social security number. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's that's a requirement. Which? <laughs> now, to be on the show, I require that. So. Oh, good. <laughs> Listen, I had an awesome time talking with you folks. It was a lot of fun. You too, man. Yeah, this this rocked. I had a good time. When I'm off probation, I'm gonna have to uh, come visit when I'm allowed to leave the state. We'll we'll do we'll set up a whole tour for you. Hell yeah! Like even like, dude, I I would go to a show where it's like, hey, we've got these two folk punk bands playing, or three, even three, and in between all of them, like while they're changing over, Pepe is just gonna like tell stories for ten minutes. <laughs> oh my God, wait, that's a fantastic that idea. Would rule. The only problem is, like, when would people go to the bathroom or have a cigarette? Because, like, no one would you leave when the bands change. Piss yourself. <laughs> yeah, how folk punk are you? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. What are you, a poser? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it is rule getting to talk to you, too, man. Yeah, um, this, is, this yeah. has been really great. Feels a lot more just, like, talking about stuff than any sort of weird promotional stuff that a lot of podcasts do or whatever. Yeah. You know, I like to have some of these conversations where we're just kind of like bullshitting and going yeah. back and forth. And yeah. Talk about soup. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. Indeed. I had such a fun time talking to Pendy and Nick. I know some of the episodes can get kind of heavy and serious, and it's nice to have these kind of lighthearted and fun and silly episodes. Of course, we talked about some serious stuff and the effort it takes to put together DIY events. If that's something you want to do, I hope we helped you realize it's very possible. And I strongly encourage you to do it. This DIY community can certainly use more people willing to take the time and energy to help it grow and become stronger. I know I and plenty of others would be grateful if you take those steps. I'm going to talk to Pendy and Nick further on our Patreon. There's a link in the episode show notes if you're interested in signing up for that. You'll get bonus material and some other goods from us. Pendy and Nick asked me what wave of folk punk I thought we were in. That's something we discuss in this Patreon episode, amongst other things. But for now, we'll leave you with the song SS Columbia Eagle by Trashboat in the Ambush. Enjoy it and stay free until next time.
rational or valid or legal, but just for one day, I'll be the captain of the SS Columbia Eagle. You can say I'm sacrificing a brilliant career. You can call me a pirate or mutineer, but one thing you can't ever call me is someone who helped set children on fire. Your boss may have told you it's all for the best that your nation's cause is righteous and blessed, but I think that part of you knows that man's a fucking liar.